Hello and welcome to another episode of the Principal Liner Notes podcast. This is Sean Gaylord here with another connected conversation, and I am very honored to have the national spokesperson for the state of Iowa here, Jimmy Casas. Um, he is. If you if you are watching, you are seeing that he is repping his Hawkeyes hard, and uh, but but beyond that. Uh, there it is. There it is, man. But beyond <laughs> that, Jim, Jimmy is an author, a speaker, a podcaster, school leader, uh, jack of all trades and an inspiring force. You may know him most for his book, Culturize, but I know Jimmy as friend, mentor, influencer and leader. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sean. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Great catching up with you here a little bit before the podcast started, but uh, really looking forward to it. So thanks again for the opportunity, my friend. Awesome, my friend. And I, uh, I'm i grateful. And I know many folks uh, have followed your your adventures and followed your your journey. And, and one of the things, you know, in terms of this podcast is it's called the Principal Liner Notes Podcast. And, and anybody can listen to it. Uh, as, as I kind of share with you before the podcast, I always try to, you know, g- give a nod to, to my sister and brother principals and school leaders that, that, that are out there. And, and I know that you have walked that talk. You have been in that chair. You've been in many chairs. Um, principalship today, you know, what, what, what is, what is, what is your take on on school leadership today because i know you've you 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 wrestle with this and you've talked about it you've consulted mm-hmm. you've helped school principalship today status yeah uh let's see school principalship today well let me just talk a little bit maybe as i reflect on this on what i'm kind of seeing right now is that number one it's so highly scrutinized um i feel like you know sean when i first started in the principalship if I made a mistake or didn't quite follow through on something or maybe even mismanage a situation, guess what? For the most part, I got to pass because only the only people that knew it were me and the person I screwed it up with. Right. But in today's world, everybody seems to know, and, and it's a lot different environment, right? Where it's a little bit more personal. Um, some might even say at sometimes even attacking in some ways, attacking our profession, attacking our teachers, attacking our administration, certainly attacking our superintendents. And, and so I believe that that scrutiny elevates us to a whole nother level of stress. Um, it's a constant worry. That's what I'm doing. The people who like are hesitating and they're hesitating because they're worried that any decision could be the decision that ends their career. And it's a career killer. And, uh, and if you think about it, when you think about and at least the leaders I know, and then I try to think of myself is, you know, leaders go into the profession because they truly want to make a difference. They want to make an impact. They believe they can, but they also go in with a set of core values of what's really, really meaningful to them. I think they try to model those. And I think they try to influence those people, mainly number one, just to be the best version of you, right? To be good people, to be good citizens, all these things we try to do. And then the conflict comes because the conflict is you begin to see things that do not align with your values. They do not align with what's right and what's wrong, even though we all know what's right. And yet these other perspectives and these other forces, many of them political, mess with you. And now we're hesitating because now we're conflicted because we know what the right thing to do is. And so the leader today has to be courageous, has to be courageous to literally walk in that storm knowing that they're going to take a lot of hits, but can they get through it? Can they weather it? Can they get through it? And they can, can they come out on the other side stronger or are they going to come out really basically depleted and exhausted and overwhelmed? And, um, and so, yeah, if I'm being really honest, today's leader is, is, um, is tired. Um, And, uh, but, but, um, I think there's so many opportunities to be hopeful. And that's, you know, what we try to do and what I try to do is say, hey, listen, yep, the job is comes at you. But there are still things, number one, that we can do that will get us a much better result. There is still multiple times more joy than there are stresses and headaches. 
And you got to find it. You got to look for it. You got to see it. And quite frankly, sometimes you got to cultivate that in yourself. You can't wait for the joy to come to you. You have to figure out ways to create that in the work that we do each and every day. So, but I do know this is that it's still the most important profession. It is truly a ministry. And for those of us who went into it because we had a purpose and we love what we do, um, yeah, I may make you question it sometime, but like I always say, there isn't a job that doesn't make you question it. And so at the end of the day, I, the way I look at it is I'm still responsible for my own morale. I get to choose the type of day it's going to be. Yeah. I remember that that kind of echoes something I remember here when I first heard you speak years ago at uh, at, at a conference. And, and I remember you, you, you kind of echoes. I, I choose the weather in my own neighborhood. I, mm -hmm. I choose whether it rains or, or shines, uh, something I've always carried with me. You, you mentioned the word hope and, and I, I know that's one of the, the core principles of culturized, be a merchant of hope. And I often, you know, I, I try to operate, I do my best to operate in, in this level of hope and, and possibility you have to, as a leader, I believe, you you, you have to have that as, as as part of your kind of your essential core. But then I, I I always bristle when when I hear or I see that that often used phrase, hope is not a strategy, you know, or hope is not a you, you can't rely on hope. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I mean, when I when I when I read Culturize years ago, when I he, when I heard you talk about hope, it, it validated a lot of, 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 of my drive as a leader. So, so how do you, how does a school leader when, when they go in there or principal, when they go into that meeting or go into that schoolhouse or whatever it is, and, and they're, they got their hope on, but, mm -hmm. but yet there's the, the pushback, the, yeah. <laughs> how, how do you, how, how do we navigate through against that? Yeah. Well, it may not be a strategy, Sean, but I try to remind people it is a damn good start. And um, and to me, it's the mindset. You know, for example, if I were to say to you, Sean, you know, I can go talk to that student, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to do any good. That means you have no hope for this child. You don't believe it can actually happen. You know, we hear the phrase, of, you know, I believe all children can learn. Really? Do you really believe that? Or we just say that, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's the, the idea of hope is for me is obviously, as you just stated, it's obviously one of my core principles that I try to not to live by, not just in my professional life, but in my personal life as well. And those four core values came to me uh, between the 2005, 2006 school year when I was trying to find my way, right. To try to figure out what type of leader was I going to be like, you know, you and I were talking about before we started, like, you know, I felt like I was one leader in the interview chair and that leader is who I wanted to be. And then what happens to us? Like this job will turn you into somebody you never wanted to become because it just, mm -hmm. that's what it does to you. Uh, the emotional toll that this job can take on a school leader, on a teacher, on a bus driver, on a paraeducator or secretaries or counselors and teacher librarians that can go on forever. Right. But yeah, job messes with you a little bit. So so it's a constant reframing. That's how I see it now. You know, I constantly see it as a constant reframing in the sense that I'm always going to remain hopeful. And that's why, because if not, then what the hell are we doing here right now? <laughs> like, why, why, why am I doing this, right? Why are you yeah. doing this? Why are you walking to school every day? Well, because you have faith, you have hope. And because you see the greater good, you see it differently. So I think that's the first thing is you got to see it differently, which means you reframe it. Yeah, there's these forces, there's these opinions, there's these voices out there, the noises out there telling us, but but yeah, it, it, that's where it starts. It's a great beginning. But now what? And that's where we've got to begin to really look at situations. And for me to be a merchant of hope simply means is that I want to, I truly believe that every teacher and every principal and every uh, job there is in education, that when people decided at some point in their life, that's the route I want to take, I believe they went in there with the best of intentions. I believe they went in there to be great at what they were going to do. I believe they wanted to make an impact. They wanted to make a difference. They wanted to champion for kids. They want to change the world. I really believe that. Now, I'm not saying there's an exception out there, but I don't live my life based on exceptions. Mm. I, in my experience, I don't know too many people who say, yeah, I'm going to go in there and I just want to suck at my job, right? No, most people want to be really good at what they do. Uh, regardless of the craft that they're doing, 
Uh, there's different reasons for it, but at the end of the day, I think they want to be successful. I think they want to make a difference. And so what we have to understand is if we truly believe that, and I do, then we have to try to understand why do some people lose their way because their behavior no longer reflects that. And so what I believe is that everybody deserves to be a part of something great. And that's where I begin to look at the culture of an organization and again, these have so many legs that come off it. But the number one thing to me is you want to create a sense of community. And in order to create a sense of community where people feel like they belong, right? That's the key. That sense of belonging where, where people feel valued, where they feel appreciated, where they feel like they have a voice and where they're hopeful, right? Where they actually are hopeful. And uh, nobody wants a culture of apathy. That's not good. And so, you know, who wants to work in that environment? So how do we create these environments where people walk in every day hopeful, believing, truly believing that they can inspire, whether it's kids or whether it's adults, but we can truly inspire people to be more and do more than they ever thought possible. And there are ways to do that that are very intentional, very strategic, but they're not manipulative, they're not disingenuous, and they're not fake. They're authentic, they're real. And so I think that's where we then begin to see it differently. And then more importantly, we have to behave differently because to me that's culture how are people behaving in the organization yeah and that's everything you need to know about the culture and and it's got to be consistent you know it can't, it can't be something that okay jeans day or, or whatever donut day or, or whatever yeah. it is i mean if you're going to do those things which have a time and a place in order to build that culture i think it's important for leaders it, it's not just an isolated finite thing it's got it's got to be part of the rhythm and the flow of of your building your organization whatever it may be because that consistency also builds integrity and authenticity and 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 those things yeah if you look around it doesn't matter what your role is in your profession right it could be a business it could be a bank it could be a grocery store it can be a hospital whatever whatever your role is right I'm a big believer, if you, if, if you really start paying a little bit more attention, like this is where I feel like I've matured and evolved, not just as a leader, right? But you want to mature and evolve, obviously, as a, as a husband, as a father, as just a good human, right? Just a good human. But one of the things I find myself doing, I don't know if it's old age or what, Sean, but I find myself, and I've always said this, right? Oh, I love people watching, right? And I do. Hmm. But now I just watch people all the time. And I just listen and I watch. And it's really interesting when you really, because now I come at it, I, I'll be honest, when I was younger, I used to come at it from a judgmental point of view, mm -hmm. right? A judgmental point of view. And now I approach it from a curiosity point of view. I wonder, mm -hmm, I wonder, like, where does the behavior come from? Why is that behavior happening right now? And so I believe that there's power in that because first of all, it gives people grace and, um, it doesn't judge. It doesn't label. And um, and so it's just, it's a different way of seeing things, right? And again, I'm, I'm not saying I'm even right, right? Like, what the hell do I know, right? But they are they are based on my experiences. And that's what I try to tell people. That's the whole notion, right? Everybody has different experiences. And it's those experiences, Sean, in my opinion, that that that's the reason people behave the way they behave. They have these experiences and that's why it's so important that if we're going to talk about culture, which is the way people are behaving in the organization, just look around how people are behaving in the organization. Do they match the words on the wall? I yeah. mean, right. I mean, we got blue ribbon school. We got school of excellence. We got kindness matters. And then you walk in and like, well, they're yelling at kids or yep. Look at the way they roll their eyes. Look at their body language. I thought it said school of excellence. I thought it said kindness matters. And so that that is not only disingenuous, it's it loses credibility. We lose credibility. And if we're going to truly say, well, we have a great culture, we have a great school, I'm all with it. But I don't care anymore what you say. I'm looking at the behaviors now. That's what I want. I want to see greatness. I want to see kindness. I want to see compassion. I want to see it. And, um, and to me, that's the credibility and that's the real, and maybe that's what this is all about. Maybe that's what at the end of the day bothers me the most. It's that it's disingenuous. I'm not saying they're lying. I'm not saying they're trying. I'm just saying it's, it's not real. <laughs> and so, but we sometimes pretend this, right? And so anyway, so behavior to me is the culture. 
And the key is to try to understand then why do people behave that way? And that's why when we look at culturize or any of those core values, which is to me a behavior framework, that's what it is. It's a behavior framework is that core principle number one reminds me is that you have to invest time in people to understand that story. There's a reason they behave that way. There's a reason they respond that way. And if we don't know that history, I don't know that student. I don't know that parent. I don't know that principle. Who am I to judge it? But maybe if I establish the relationships to understand, then I can bring my compassion. I can bring my empathy. And that's why storytelling is so powerful in schools is because that's where empathy grows from. And so, yeah, anyway, some of my thoughts. <laughs> oh, this, this is good, Jimmy. I appreciate that. And, and we're just having this conversation now, right? That's what yeah, I like. Yeah, we're just rapping, man. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, one of the things, and in, 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 in before we started, you, you mentioned, you know, you've got, got some sports events that you're going to go to and um you know you're going to see the packers and steelers you know obviously got your your, your hawkeyes on and, and and those things and you know as as you were sharing all of this i was thinking about how you know in in certain athletic organizations and business organizations um there, there is there is a level of of excellence that that those groups, those organizations aspire to, you know, whether, whether it's in, in the business world, okay, we're going to have the, the best sort of thing. And this is how we're going to do this and, and be this excellent group. Uh, what, you know, not, nothing against the Packers. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a Patriot <laughs> right now. And, you know, we're, 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 we're both struggling, my friend. We're yeah, both we're all, struggling. yeah. We're all struggling right now, but, but yet, there, even though these teams have losing records, there's still a level of excellence that the organization aspires to. And in education, I, I think there's a disconnect because I, I think we, you know, you mentioned Blue Ribbon, you meant, you know, and, and, and with Blue Ribbon, you know, there's test scores and there's this, that, and the other. And and I think sometimes in education, Jimmy, we we equate excellence with the blue ribbon or with the gold star or with the top test scores or, or, or what have you. And then school cultures uh, say, Hey, we're, we're a culture of excellence, but, but th that kind of aspirational level, you know, talk with us about excellence. Cause I know that's, you know, I, I know that's a, a key component in your work. It's also part of the, the word excellence is, is part of the title of your book, uh, Live, live, live your excellence, which I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of this particular book. Um, but for those school leaders that are, that are trying to build this culture of, of excellence, which, which I do think is needed in schools, but I don't necessarily think that excellence is, is just the blue ribbon or, or gold star. So I'd, I'd love for you to riff on that man and, and share some wisdom on that. Yeah. It's the whole idea of live your excellence, right. Is to understand that, um, it's really about bringing the best version of you to every situation, to every conversation, to every interaction. And uh, what most people don't realize, excuse me, is that it was for me written, I wrote it, it was really honestly originally supposed to be the fifth core principle of culturized, but mm -hmm. but I saw it differently. And, and the reason is, Sean, is because me, it was the the umbrella of what we're all trying to do is really just be, like I said earlier, just be the best human you can be. And so, and why is that important, right? Why is that important? And first of all, you know, I see it differently. And obviously we say live your excellence. We don't say live your perfection. It's, it's, it's more about the striving part is the journey. Um, it's the evolving part is the journey, right? I hope to think that we're all better versions of ourselves, you know, I kind of equate it to this. You ever like, if you've ever like, you know, for me, I was only in, you know, four schools my whole career, three districts, four schools. But, but I always saw it as like when I would leave one school and go to another school, I always felt like I was coming a better version of me. Like I had take, taken all those learnings and I had an opportunity then almost like start over. Mm -hmm. and yeah. then, I, then I would be a little bit better and then I would make mistakes. And then, I, you know, I went to my third principalship and I get an opportunity to start over again and I get to take all that learning with me. And that's why I say this profession, the reason I love it, number one, well, of course, it's called the teaching and learning profession. 
And it's because we're always learning and we're always evolving. We're never going to get there. And that to me is, it's about striving for excellence. It's about the best version of ourselves. So, and the reason that is, is because I can control that. And, and I can't control all that. I can't control all the crazy in the world. I can't control all the hurt in the world. I can't fix all these problems. I can't, John. Uh, you can't either. But you know what? We we try sometimes. Yeah. And so we have to understand and help our leaders today and help our teachers understand is you can't fix all these problems. But I understand why they do it for the most part. But everybody has their story again. So you'd want to find out that story. Why are they trying to fix all these problems? You know what I learned? Because I'm a servant leader, mm-hmm. uh, because I care, uh, because I want to make a difference. I love the way it makes me feel when I feel like I'm helping somebody. I love fixing things. Um, I want to fix it because I feel badly for these people. I want to fix it because these people just deserve better. Uh, I want to fix it because <laughs> I, I, I'll just do it because I worry about my people and they've got so much on their plate and I'll just do it. Cause I don't want to put more on their plate. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just the mindset, right. Of where it comes from. And I continue to try to help people understand is, but this to me is the takeaway. We can look at all the factors that are happening in the world. And I still go back to what is it, what the number one reason why people are leaving the profession. And we can argue those different points. But somewhere in there, in that top three, top five, whatever you want to do your top numbers, is that people are just overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and they are exhausted Mm -hmm. and they are depleted and they are frustrated and they don't know what to do. And what I see now is because this is what I was saying when we first started is But how can I reframe that and see it differently? And what I mean by that is, what am I contributing to that? Yeah. Because there's dangers in being fixers, right? And so we have to understand the dangers. Number one is we're moving quickly when we're fixing because we got to do everything. We got to be everywhere. We got to take care of everything. But the problem with that is, is when we move so quickly, in my opinion, again, people, you know, I'm not saying I'm right. I don't have monopoly on this. These are just my experiences, what I observe. But I do have some credibility because I work with a lot of leaders right now and I see them and I watch them. And that's why I wrote Recalibrate because I was trying to help people understand is you got to slow down. You are just going so fast and your mind's like this and it never shuts off. Not only at work, it doesn't shut off at home and it doesn't, you can't sleep because it never shuts off. But the problem is we move so quickly and because we don't slow down, when we're moving quickly, we get sloppy. That's what I see. We get sloppy. And what I mean by that is we make mistakes. And what the problem is we don't see them in the moment because they're subtle enough that you don't see it, but it always circles back and catches you back here on the back end. And you know it does. Because someone's, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And you mm-hmm. you know, I want to let you know I didn't appreciate the way you said this. And you're like, what are you talking about? Right. Because you didn't see it. You're yeah. 100 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, this, you're like, I'm trying to do something good. And you're, you're calling me out. You don't appreciate what I do. You see it. And then we get all defensive. We get our feelings hurt. And, and then we reflect on it and it eats at us. We go home and we carry it home with us and it's stressed and I can't do anything right. And it doesn't matter what I do. And, you know, all of a sudden they just, they get mad at me. I know because you're in fix it mode. And yep. what you don't see is when you're always fixing everything, you're going to try to fix something that doesn't get fixed. And then they're going to blame you. Yep. And then you get your feelings hurt. And then when you get your feelings hurt, you want to blame them. And here we go. We're in this whole, it's just, I don't know. I got to figure out what this is called, but it's the only thing I can think of is like, it's like stranger things. It's like you're in the upside down. You're in between yeah. both worlds. You can't figure it out. And uh, I don't know about you, Sean, but I mean, early on in my career, I, I mean, I just worked my butt off and I'd go home and I'd be so exhausted. And, um, and, and it's just, I know what it is. Cause I'm just knocking that to-do list. I'm knocking off the to-do list, knocking off the to-do list. And, and then I, but at work, Oh, I'll take care of that. I got it. I'll fix yep. it. And then I go home and I just complain about it all night long. Yep. And I'm like, wait a second, but I'm doing that. Right. And, and but why was I doing it? Cause I did like the way it made me feel. There was a little bit of ego to it. Yeah. I did want to take care of my people. I did think it was my job. I know how they felt about my predecessor. I know I was 26 years old. I got to prove myself. I'm going to show these people. I can win these people over. I mean, there's all these stories. And if we don't understand those stories, we're going to look at Jimmy Costa. We're going to judge him because that's what people do. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's why these things are so important, but fix up mode is dangerous and, it, and we carry it. And so I try to people just let that go. You know what your job is to bring the best version of you to that situation. It's not to fix it because when you're not fixing, you're not teaching anymore. I want to see you as the heart. You're a teacher. That's where we start our careers. Go teach people, quit fixing all the problems, teach them. That's the joy of the work, their growth. Watching them develop, that's your that's your freaking joy. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean, how we have to begin to see things differently. And and that's my perspective today. I just, I don't know if it's the age, I don't know if it's experience, I don't know what it is, but, or maybe, who knows, maybe I'm just, you know, but at some point I figure like, I got to figure something else out because this is not working. I know that's not working. I know that. I Maybe I don't know the answer, but I know that's not working. And so we're just always trying different things to figure out what works, but at the end of the day, we have to understand when we are fixers, we are no longer building capacity. And one of my main responsibilities or jobs I see it is I love growing, developing leaders. Yeah. I'm a coach. I'm not a consultant. I'm a teacher. That's why I don't tell people what to do. Um, it doesn't mean I'll never do that, but I'll do it to protect them. But I also tell them that up front. My job is to ask you a lot of questions to help you see what you don't see. Not to, not to fix all these problems for you. Sometimes we'll collaborate, we'll do it together. So I'll say things like, hey, so what about this? Have you thought about this? Why not that? Talk to me a little bit more about that. And then try to work together to figure out a better solution. But at the end of the day, I might tell you not to do something, but I'll always tell you why, because I am trying to protect you and you don't see it. And so, but that's far and few between. So anyway, so I'm sorry, I just got all jacked up there just oh. for a second and a little whoop. And um, that's just what I do sometimes. So, no, totally cool. And it it got me thinking. I think I heard this years ago, as as principal, and and we often forget this too because you know people people have so many myths and misunderstandings and misconceptions about what it means to be a principal. I mean, I'm I'm on my my fifth school. This is either year fifteen, year sixteen as as a principal. And and I probably maybe about five, maybe more than this, maybe eight nine years ago, there there was the the title of principal being lead learner, and and you saw that all over social media. Two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. Yeah. yeah, let's we're all lead learners, and I I even you know sub subscribe to that, but I do believe a shift in my thinking maybe soon after that was, yeah, we should always be learning and growing and reading and, and, and you go to conferences or you, you're doing advanced coursework or, or, or what have you, but, but, but we're also teachers first, you know, we, I, I didn't start my education career going, I'm going to be a principal that, that was so far from my mind 32 years ago when, when I started, I, I had no aspirations for for leadership or administration um and i think our gig part of our gig as principals it's not about creating more followers it's it's about empowering those who who follow you to lead and to lead with you and 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 to walk with you um and 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 really that you know after principal we you know, and, I, and i always say this too like you know, yeah, my title is principal, but I'm a teacher by trade. Yep. And 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 you know, and that and now I may I may not be teaching high school English like I used to, but but my primary course right now or my it's on my syllabus is leadership and empowering those to to lead and 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 to bring out the best. And you 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 articulate that beautifully in the Live Your Excellence book and in and in and in culturize. Yeah, because you're trying to avoid those undercurrents. And and what I learned over time, and obviously I talked about that in Live Your Excellence, was what I couldn't see at the time is that I was the undercurrent. <laughs> yes. And I believe we're all the undercurrent, right? And so we have to be able to understand that we're under, we are the undercurrent. So how do we avoid the undercurrent? Mm -hmm. And one way to do that is through the heart of a teacher, but the other way is to see it through the eyes of others, right? And that's what culturized really is, is seeing the culture through the eyes of others. And so that's part of, for me, the growth was to see it differently and to understand, well, because here's what I know, Sean, is that if you, if you look, if you talk to teach, well, first of all, if you talk to students and parents about their experiences in school, 
a lot of them will tell you stories about teachers they had that they didn't like. Right. For, for reason, right. Or the teacher didn't do this and the teacher didn't do that. And the teacher never called home or whatever it was. Right. And then when you talk to teachers, they do the same thing. But when it comes to the building leader, right, that there's teachers, they'll say, mm -hmm. well, our principal's this and our principal's that. And then when I meet with principals, they blame central office. Right. So yep. it's like everybody is what I call on the perimeter. Right. The, it, the perimeter leadership is dangerous, in my opinion, because what happens is that we're all pointing the finger somewhere else. And um, and this is probably the evolution in my thinking, just like you just said. Right. Same thing. Lead learner see it as a teacher, but, but that is the evolution of all of us. And I hope we don't think the exact same way when I thought when I was in 2010, I hope I don't. I mean, I hope some things are still very core to me and I hope other areas have been validated and other areas have validated and stretched me and other areas have thought, wow, I didn't think about that. And other areas I thought, I know that, why am I not doing that? Right. I know that. Right. So these are the things I kind of think about all the time, but this idea of being on the perimeter is dangerous. And this is the probably one of the biggest things besides the fix it, but it's funny how they're married. And what I mean by that is the mm -hmm. fixers, when they don't get the results they want or get blamed or get tired, bottom line is they go to the perimeter. In other words, they get frustrated because something isn't happening the way they want it to. A kid isn't doing this. The teacher didn't do that. The parents are behaving this way. And so we go to the perimeter and this is dangerous because that's where we're labeling and that's where we're judging and that's where we're uh, gossiping and that's where we're giving up on people and quit. All these things come from being on the perimeter. But what we don't see, um, I couldn't see it uh, today in my work. I do. I see others don't see. It. Again, they're not trying to be this way. Remember, they sat in the interview chair. They wanted to be great. But now look at their behavior today. And that's where this conversation started. Look at the behavior and does it model excellence? Doesn't mean they don't want to be, but oftentimes it doesn't. And so we have to recalibrate them to have, because that's where they want to be. So we got to get them back up there. But first they have to see it. And so what we learn is that the thing I try to teach them is, look, you don't see on the, That's why coaching is so powerful to me, because you get an outside observer who gets to watch all this unfold. But I don't see it because I'm right in the middle of it. I'm right in the deep of the fire and I just don't see it. But somebody over here who's, who's not as emotionally invested, maybe is more there to be a little bit more objective, sees it differently and and, and and just get a better result that way. And so what we don't see is when we live on the perimeter, and this is what I couldn't see, Sean, and I'm number one guilty of it because I was out there, because I was frustrated though, because I was tired. I mean, I couldn't understand how the hell you work in a school. You don't love kids. And so, you know, you, you it messes with you. That's what I'm saying. It turns you to somebody, yeah. right? And you go to the perimeter and say, ah, like that. But what I couldn't see, Sean, is my skills weren't developing. Yeah. Well, how can they? If I'm never the problem, it's always you. Well, then I just point the finger and say you. And I walk over here and I label and I gossip and I talk negatively. But you know what I never learned is how to manage that very complex situation. Because I don't have that skill set. And that's where we get into issues of cultures. And that's why I believe. And to me, again, this all intersects for me and, and and where it intersects is is because my skills sets aren't getting any better then the behavior around the organization doesn't look excellent anymore because i don't know how to manage that conversation because i don't because i just blame them for it mm -hmm. and so it's a skill set and so the inner leadership is where we want to start we always start here from a point of curiosity i wonder why that student puts his head on the desk i wonder why that student isn't doing their homework I wonder why that student doesn't come to class. You know why? Because there's a story there. And he doesn't want to be that way. So your job is to figure out how did he become that way? Hmm. And there's your joy. There's your inspiration. There's your hope. Because if you don't have hope that you can take this kid or take this adult and help them find their way back, beautiful. it ain't ever going to happen. And that is what jacks me up. I want to take the person who thinks there's no way. I'm like, yep, give them to me. Give them to me. Because I, I believe I can. I'm not saying I will. I'm not that arrogant. But I don't you dare walk in and say they won't matter. Well, then don't go. Because yeah. it's not going to. But you at least got to believe that. Because at one point, at one point, remember, always remember this, everybody. We hired these people. And when we hired them, they were pretty damn good. So my question is, then what happened to them? And I don't blame them. I blame us because we allowed it to happen. Yep. And that's how I see it.
And if we didn't hire them, we sure as hell evaluate them. We inherited them. We inherited them. Yeah. We inherited them. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But but let's, like we said earlier, Sean, let me take you back to the interview. Sean, you're in the interview. You're interviewing with me right now. You want to be a principal here. I say, Sean, hey, listen, when you walk into school, if you were to be hired, you would have to work with some individuals who right now are quite frankly on the edge of the couch. They're questioning, they're doubting, they're wondering, and their behavior sometimes isn't great. Yep. You are going to inherit these people when you walk in. If you were named principal here, Sean, tell me how you would help these people find their way back mm-hmm. and to create a positive experience for these individuals so they look forward to coming to work every day. How would you do that, Sean? You know what you didn't say? I'd evaluate them. I'd put on an intensive assistance plan. I'd play a gotcha game with them. I'd go over here and gossip to the other people. Like, who the hell are these people? Why are they still here? I wouldn't say those people should have retired five years ago, but this is all the language I hear now about people who have lost their way here. It's interesting, right? But nobody said that in the interview chair. No. Because they too have lost their way. And so we have to recalibrate them and say, mm-mm. The best version of you is the is the person in the interview chair. Go back and be that person. Because in that chair, you knew the words to say. You believed it. You were, couldn't wait to get started. But you're just tired, my friend. That's all. You're just tired. You're frustrated. Mm-hmm. And um, and we need to recalibrate you. Because no one wants to live a life like that. You want to be great for these people. So what's stopping you? Go be great for them. But it has to start with you investing time in these people to find out their story. And that's why relationships will always be the foundation of every great culture. I mean, we can talk about it. I don't care what you tell me. I want to see it. Show me. Powerful. And 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 the notion of the interview chair, I know, is 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 something. Um, a couple of years ago, when when you spoke uh, in um, district I was in, um, you you tested that off on us and it's the name of 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 your podcast um so so for those that and and, and you kind of unpacked interview chair there an example wise and i and the way i always interpreted it as remember re- remember remember what you said yeah. uh so so for those that may not be un, that that may be unfamiliar with the interview chair um what what is the interview chair and and and, and the significance of that for leadership and in education well, like I always said, there's always a story. So where does it come from, right? And it comes from because, you know, 12 years into the principalship, I too had lost my way, right? I wasn't behaving anymore like I said I was going to. I, w- I was just, again, why? I'm tired, frustrated. I don't, I, I can't deal with these adults anymore. And I mean, they were the problem and all, you know, all this stuff you get in your head. And, um, and so I had my little, what I call my little intervention moment with uh, some very important people in my life who were responsible for getting me to the principalship. And uh, I remember my boss looking right at me and in a, in a private conversation when I was at a really, really bad spot in my life mm-hmm. and uh, and went for him for some guidance. And he said, what happened to the young man who came to the inner city, Jimmy, and promised me he was going to change the world, mm-hmm. who sat in that interview chair? What happened to him? And first of all, I got defensive. <laughs> I still remember this. I got, I got my feelings hurt, right? So I was like, wait a second. Yeah, I you for guys, not for you to blame me, right? I'm not the problem. Those people, right? I'm right back on the perimeter. I cannot help myself, right? But that just goes to show you where people can land, right? That's where people can land. And um, and I was just there every day, Sean. I just I didn't want to go to work anymore. I was I just I was ready to go quit and do something else. I'm like I'm 38 years old. I'm 12 years into it already. 12 years into the principalship. I'm 38. That's part of the issue. You become a principal too long. That's a long haul to go. Yeah. And I'm thinking I can go do something else. You know, I'm, I'm just tired of this nonsense, you know, a lot of kind of stuff. And that's where a lot of people are today. And I think that's why the re, why I can kind of relate to it, you know, because I, I was exactly at that point. And so so there's hope to find our way back. But the key was this is you got to change you. Yeah. And Culturize came from that weekend of writing those four core principles of Culturize. But it was a behavior framework for me to be who I always wanted to be the principal I want to be, the husband I want to be, the father I want to be, and friend I want to be and all that. But it was a different way of living a life to be a, you know, you 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 get one life. That's it. So what are you going to do with it? Yeah, I hope it's not over at 38. Crap, if that's the case, I'm screwed. And so and that seems like a lifetime ago, but it just seems like yesterday too. And so, I mean, that's literally, if I think about it, that's literally, um, well, it'd be 34, that'd be 18 years ago, right? So it's, it's coming to... Uh, this is the 30, 30 years ago I took my first principalship, which is crazy, right? Think about that right now. 30 years ago, I took my first principalship. And so the the, the interview 
chair was really uh, uh, inspired by him saying that to me. And so I started testing it out in my talks. Uh, and yours was one of the places and probably almost one of the last places I did that. And maybe even the inspiration to walk out of there with the, with the response that people received from it that I wanted to start the podcast. And, um, and so, yeah, and so the podcast is just, you know, try to put out episodes where to remind people that that is the best version of them and, and to, and, and to come up with the stories from the, the stories from the schools that I work in and the classrooms and the buildings and campuses where I can take those scenarios, turn them into a podcast and say, Hey, it's all right, but let's just go back to the interview chair. What would we have said? And the question is why don't our words mirror that anymore? And this is to recalibrate you because that's the best version of you. And I know that's who you want to be. So let's get you back there because yeah. you can get yourself out of this. You have to have hope you can dig your way out. And, um, and again, you know, it's not perfect, but what I do love about it is there are people have said, and I always said that too, is I, I want them to be short, little 10 minute, 11 minute, maybe 12 minute, just little reminders. So you can listen to on the way to work to get you ready for the day, to listen on the way home. So you don't feel like the worst person in the world, <laughs> um, maybe 10 minutes. So you can listen to it in a faculty meeting and everybody can recalibrate or you can do it in your admin team meeting. So, you know, then you can have a lot of conversation and, and, and because again, people need that release, but they need to be reminded and they need to remember what it looks like and more importantly, what it feels like. But um, yeah, so it's called the interview chair. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I know, um, in addition to authoring books and, and podcasting and, and speaking, you, your, your organization, Jay Casas and Associates, you know, where you, you've got other coaches and, and, and things like that, but then also an arm of that is, is publishing and, and you, you know, in addition to your work, you, you, you've also been able to promote other, other authors as well. Yeah. And that's, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, for me, it's, um, it's another part of the work, right? It's all part of our organization, right? The, our Live Your Excellence Foundation and uh, all these pieces where we're trying to give back and support and help. And there's lots of ways to do that. But, you know, it's it's funny, right, Sean? You know, I don't really often confess this, but we are educators. And when we make that transition into the entrepreneurial world, it's a little weird for me, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I still struggle with it. And I've been doing it for almost six years now. And, uh, and again, six years seems like a lifetime, but then I look back and like, look where we've gone in six years, right? And um, and obviously that's through the grace of God, that's through the blessings that we receive, that's from people who help make that happen. I mean, there's, you know, it's not just us, but it's everybody else who believes in the work we do. And it just goes to show you, you know, I, I wouldn't go as far as calling it a movement, but I know culturize the impact that has had, right? Because I get it all the time. I mean, nonstop, the impact that has made. So and then you think about it like, well, I'm just this dude who, you know, I didn't even want to write the book. Damn, that's Dave Burgess's fault. Leave me alone, Dave. I don't want to write a book. I don't even know how to write. I don't know how to write. I hate writing. I still hate writing today. But someone believes in you. And just like a teacher would with a kid, changes the trajectory of my life, right? Which is mm -hmm. funny, right? That book changed my life in so many ways and continues to just multiply blessings from it. And so... So yeah, so the publishing thing was just uh, was another extension to say, hey, how can we serve more people? You know, certainly there's a business component to it, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm you know I'm I'm not I don't want to be this big publishing company. That's not my goal, right? I, I'm, you know, I want to find really good work with really good stories that need to be told. So that's probably the hardest part is saying no to people, right? Because you you have to look at this because a lot of it's just the timing and the narrative and you know whatever it is and. And that's probably been the hardest part for me, but at least where I feel like I'm fair to people is, you know, I call everybody back and have a conversation with them. You know, I don't send an email and say, sorry, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, no, let's talk about your book. Cause I want them to publish a book. And if it isn't with me, it's with somebody else or I'm going to help them self publish it. And so, cause we've all been there. And um, so, yeah, so that's been awesome to me is to give people an opportunity. There's nothing more awesome than that. When that person gets, when, when that person gets their book and holds it in their hand. Yeah. It's almost as good as it was when I held it in my hands. It's right there. It's just just the minutest smart part uh, less. But oh man, it just jacks me up because I know what's coming for them. Like they don't get it. They think, oh, I, I wrote a book, and they are excited. They're, I said, you have no idea until you that baby. You hold that baby in your hand. It is like it mostly just wants to make you just break down. Yeah, like because that's your life's work. 
that's what it is. It uh, it's it's a powerful feeling and and uh, it, it's life changing. And what I appreciate about what what you do, Jimmy, is is and I, and I shared this before before we press record on this podcast is oh. is culturized. And I remember when that book came out and it it landed hard and it had it had such a tremendous impact. And and you could have easily just rested on that book and rested on the the universal enduring message of the core principles there but but i really i really respect how you you've you didn't do like culturize two or or culturize volume three or whatever you 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 you've teased things out of that book you 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 continue to wrestle with that message and and to create other other points of view and, and really push and challenge yourself and i and i and i, I know you've said this before that writing is a labor of love and, and, and you resist it and, 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 and you take your time with it, but, but it's paid off in the end. Um, so I, I really appreciate how you as an author really push and, and wrestle, you know, I can feel it when I, when, when I read, when I read your work and, and go, Oh, okay. He's, he's in, he's in the squared circle right now with something. And, and, and he's, he, he's pushing, you know, which, which I think is so needed in, in our circle, in the network, um, as, as, uh, as educators and, and, and as leaders. So, but yet you still maintain true to that core, which, which again is, there's an art to that. So job well done. Well, I appreciate it, Sean. It's, it's, it's funny. It's kind of what you said also before we get on the air is, you know, sometimes you podcast cause that's your outlet. That's what you mm -hmm. need. Right. And so sometimes I write for me just to get out of my head because I got it. It's all wrapped up in there. I got to get it out there. Get, get rid of it, yeah. Jimmy, because it it's there's still something in our DNA. And, and that's the part that I think you can't take out of somebody. I mean, some people, that's just their DNA. And uh, yes, we can massage it. We can we can figure it out a little bit better. We can respond. We can. But there's always a little bit of our DNA that I can't shut it off. So so that's my release. No, I hear you. You, I think uh, for my podcasting thing, because I'll, I'll, I'll do something like this, where it's a connected conversation, and I'm, I'm, you know, one on one with someone. But then sometimes I will podcast in my car because I got to get it out. And and we, we, we can thank our mutual friend Joe Sanfilippo for <laughs> for for that because he was the one and probably at that same conference that you spoke yeah, at showed you, uh -huh, uh -huh, yeah he he did a whole podcasting like hey i he he right there in the talk work. yeah right there right there in his presentation just show yeah. you how easy watch this i can do it right now while we're doing this yeah. <laughs> yeah and and i and that that i'm like oh that's something um so so that that uh, i i always i, I got to give a nod to joe for that because i yeah. you know and 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 we as leaders you're right i mean it's it's a blessing and a curse, you know, where, where we stay at 38,000 feet and, and, and the mind is constantly going because we're looking at the big picture and we're looking around and we're trying to recalibrate the figure. But, but it's also important too, as, as leaders, we find that outlet to get that stuff out, whether it's blogging, whether it's podcasting, whether it's writing a book, whether, whether it's going and just talking to somebody and saying, Hey, I gotta, I gotta share something with you. Can I get, can I get this off my heart and share it with you? So that's so, so important for leaders to, to kind of have that outlet to get, to get it out because, because of the demands of the job and the challenges and, 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 and how, and the scrutiny. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. The evolution, right. I think back and, you know, George and, um, you know, pushed me to blog and then, they pushed me to write and and then you get down that road and I did daily uh, the daily uh, thought of the day for about three years and then my own growth says I'm ready to do something else and and then I switch over here and I do the podcast and and I know that will happen I, I like I like starting over I like learning and starting over with something different I don't want to just keep doing the same thing so and I think that's just part of what we do, even in our company, how we continue to grow and legs here. And that's, it's not because I'm trying to do everything. I actually let things go. That, that's the difference I learned, right? If people look, if they pay close attention, they'll notice I don't keep stacking, right? <laughs> I add and I drop and I add and I drop because I know the danger is I don't just keep adding things to my plate. That's that, that wouldn't work for me. So I drop things. And so I'll drop the podcast. I drop blogging and I drop the data thought. And then 
The only thing that stayed consistent through all that, to be honest with you, is really the writing. Mm -hmm. But people don't understand is I write a lot. I just don't publish it. This is right for me. And when I'm ready to go, I thought, you know what? I'm to the point now where I feel like I need to write about it. And so I just, I never know when I'm going to do it. And so, yeah. So right now I'm just tiddling with a couple, you know, playing with a couple things and we'll see. But again, I just write to write. Eventually, if I feel like it, I'll, I'll publish it. If not, no big deal. So I don't need to. So. <laughs> I want to do it because I want to do it, not because I have to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I don't like. Like, nah, not doing it anymore. I'm, I'm past that. So anyway. No, I hear you. I'll just like with this podcast, if, if I feel it, it comes out, you know, I don't, I, I try to have like a set schedule with it, but you know, it, it, yeah, it's too much it, pressure. It's too yeah, much. I, now, now you're forced. Now you're just doing it. Cause you feel like I have, you know, no, I'm just, that's how I am even with the, with the podcast. I mean, you know, you, you I think it's consistent, but I'm not going to be clockwork with it. Like, you exactly. know, my whole life's going to be controlled by it. You know, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-mm. Right on. No. So folks want to follow and, and, and connect with you. What are, what are the best, uh, places and platforms to to connect with you and learn more about your work and order books and those things yeah well obviously the website's the easiest just to go to jimmycasas.com but if you really want to interact and engage you know I, I, twitter and instagram would be my go-to tools with casas underscore jimmy and uh yeah i love to connect and love to engage and 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 love to help so i'm always available to serve if i have to i always tell people you know it's a lot different when you don't have a real job anymore so i got time <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, well, Jimmy Casas, thank you so much for for spending some time and conversation here on on the podcast. I'm grateful for you, and and I'm grateful for for the work that you do that that just has such a great impact on others. Thank you, Sean. It's it's been an honor, and it's uh, and honestly, the best part of it was just reconnecting with you again. So, thank you for reaching. Out. I appreciate it. Right on. As I sign off here on the Principal Liner Notes podcast with with the typical sign off, don't forget to share with the world your dreams, your visions, your ideas, because they help make the world a better place. And you, like Jimmy Casas, help make the world a better place. This is the Principal Liner Notes podcast. Sean Gaylord here with Jimmy Casas signing off. Thanks so much for tuning in.